I feel much better than I sound. So once you open your Bibles to Luke 15 and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. During Sunday school, someone made fun of me. I'm not going to tell you whether it's Ed Sorensen or not. About how slowly I've been going through Luke. But this morning we're going to cover verses 24 through 29. So I think that's pretty good. <laughs> the title of this morning's sermon is, We Don't Serve the Lord with Gladness When. We Don't Serve the Lord with Gladness When. We've been working our way through Luke's Gospel. On Sunday mornings, find ourselves in the middle of the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to read verses 24 through 29. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near, came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this beautiful parable that we have been able to dig into all these weeks, and we've really begun a new section that's almost like a new parable as we see this third son, or second son, excuse me, this older son, really the third person in the parable that you would emphasize for us. And perhaps some of us haven't identified as much with the prodigal son. We've never um, been wayward and rebellious, but we might identify more with the way this older son feels, this one who has stayed close to home, at least physically speaking. So I pray for application for us, Lord. You've commanded us to serve. I think about Ed's devotional right now and Jesus' example and his instruction only hours before his death about serving each other. And we don't always serve with the right attitude, at least I know that I don't, Lord. And so I thank you for the recording this example with this son who definitely wasn't serving with gladness um, not, so that we could be convicted and challenged and encouraged and, le and learn how we might serve others and serve you with gladness, Lord. And so those things about regarding this truth that you would, uh, are about the importance of serving you with gladness that you would have me deliver to your people, I pray you'd bring those to mind, Lord, if there's anything that's not in my notes, um, that you would add those uh, to my thoughts so that I could preach them this morning. I know everyone's lives are busy, and I, as always, I just pray for distractions to be removed and for us to see this as a continued time of worship where we're focused on you and what you want to say to us through the scriptures. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness toward us. I, I pray we wouldn't even take for granted just the great blessing it is to be able to sit here and worship you with other brothers and sisters in Christ like this, just considering how many other people would love the opportunity to do so in, in persecuted countries, Lord. And so help us always to be mindful of this gift you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. So as Pastor Nathan said, we had a wonderful elders retreat, and that was followed by us going to camp. And so I think I've just spoken too much this week, took a little bit of a toll on my voice. And maybe some of you already thought I talked too much as it is, um, but I am feeling good, and I believe that the Lord will allow me to get through this sermon well. I've been looking forward to this sermon because Eric Hoven preached last Sunday. I thought he did an incredible job with his sermon and with his Sunday school teaching, and I was able to use that week to prepare this uh, sermon that I'm preaching today because I knew I was going to be really busy this last week. So that was very providential for Eric to be preaching um, last Sunday and giving me that, that week to prepare. But the point is I've had two weeks to reflect on these verses, and I've, I have them, uh, you know, they've been on my heart, and I'm really excited about sharing some of these truths with you this morning. So before we dig into these verses, I want to invite you to put yourself in the place of the religious leaders. 
Put yourself in the place of the religious leaders. How did they regularly feel around Jesus as his ministry went on? I would say nervous. Nervous that he is going to make them look bad. Does that make sense? Or sound accurate? Exactly. Listen to this verse. Matthew 21, 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Imagine the most famous, prominent individual in human history is making you look bad through his teaching and preaching, and he's doing this repeatedly. So the religious leaders got used to Jesus' teaching, making them look bad. And as Jesus preached through the parables in Luke 15, they had to know that he was going to say something bad about them because they were the reason that he was preaching these parables in the first place, right? Do you remember the beginning of the chapter? If you just briefly look back there at verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus preaches these parables in response to what he knew was going on in their hearts toward repentant sinners. But surprisingly, it seemed like he wasn't going to say anything about them, which they must have thought was wonderful. They listened to the first parable about the shepherd finding his lost sheep and then rejoicing. Anything in that parable making the religious leaders look bad. Okay, let me, so think about the first parable with the shepherd who finds his lost sheep and then rejoices. Was there really anything that directly made the religious leaders look bad in that parable? I would say no. I mean, they could consider, well, heaven rejoices when a sinner is saved. We should be rejoicing. But that's more of an indirect sort of subtle criticism. They listen to the second parable about the woman finding the lost coin and then rejoicing. Again, it seems like nothing bad about them. And then he begins the third parable. The father finds the lost son. And then he rejoices, and this is how the other parables have ended, with something lost being found and then a celebration. And so what do the religious leaders do when Jesus says the lost son is found and the father rejoices? They go like this. They go, ha, oh, this is fantastic. He didn't have anything bad to say about us. But then who was introduced? The older son. Jesus had a surprise for them. The third parable was not going to be ending the way the previous two parables had ended. When he introduces this older brother, he makes the religious leaders look very bad. The older brother represents the religious leaders in, in prominent ways, as we will see. The older brother's attitude toward his repentant younger brother represents the religious leader's attitude toward what? Toward repentance. Hey, by the way, uh, if you haven't heard this before, I just want to make sure I say this frequently enough. We love children here, love the sound of them, love to have them in the worship service. Nobody ever needs to, I'll try to talk louder, they'll turn me up at the, at the uh, you know, sound booths, so we're always glad to have children with us and hear the beautiful noises that they make. And it gives me an opportunity to repeat something that you guys didn't answer super well. <laughs> the older brother's attitude toward his repentant younger brother represents the religious leader's attitude toward what? Repentant sinners, right? The older brother's attitude toward certain... Now, this is a little subtler, but notice this. The older brother's attitude toward serving his father does represent the religious leader's attitude toward serving the Lord. I don't want to say their heavenly father because Jesus actually said that they were sons of who? Son, they, Jesus said the religious leaders were sons of who? Satan or the devil. So I can't say toward their heavenly father, but I can say... Toward our Heavenly Father, they did not have a good attitude about serving God. 
The older brother's self-righteousness definitely represents the religious leader's self-righteousness. One more thing before we begin, and I prayed this and hope that perhaps if you've been listening to this parable and haven't found much application because you've never considered yourself a prodigal, you have perhaps always worked hard or, or served the Lord well or served your parents or your family well, you've always been pretty obedient, you've stayed, let's say, close to home or close to your Heavenly Father or you know, close to your Bible, close to the church, then this is the sermon that might have the most application for you out of this entire account. This might be the brother that you're able to identify with most. With that in mind, look at verse 24 for context. The father says, my son was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. They began to celebrate. We looked at this last week. Now the new verse, the older son's in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, do you remember in a recent sermon, I told you that as someone who spends most of my life writing, whether it's preparing sermons or sending emails or doing some authoring, I can really appreciate what's called tight writing or packing in a lot of imagery in a few, in a few words and how God just does that incredibly well. And he does that in this verse here. Because when it says, the sun was in the field, what does this make you think? Huh? Yeah, he's working. He's responsible. He's faithfully serving his father. And do you see how even mentioning this son being out in the field stands in contrast to that other son who'd been out where? Partying, living immorally, disobediently in Gentile territory. And so the celebration's loud enough that if the older brother hears the music and dancing as he approaches the house, and he wants to know what's going on. So in verse 26, he calls one of the servants, and he asks what these things mean. Verse 27, and the servant said to him, I'm assuming probably joyfully, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And just those words, this might be a little more of a devotional thought, but I really was sort of meditating or appreciating that phrase, received him back safe and sound. Because it's not really a beautiful way to describe when an individual is a prodigal or living away from the Lord, but they come back. They're going to be safe in the protection of the Father's household. They're going to be sound in terms of both spiritual and emotional health. And the same can be said, not just about this son here, but about any people who are living in uh, figuratively Gentile territory or disobediently, they're in danger right? They're in danger physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and when they cut and repent and come back home, there's that sense in which they are also safe and sound. So the older brother learns this wonderful news. Your brother has returned. Your father's received him back into the family, and now we're having this party in his honor. But instead of rejoicing, we read this at the beginning of verse 28, and I just want you to picture this. He was angry, and he refused to go in. Now, you're familiar with this. You've probably read this countless times, but picture what this was like where this older brother gets this news, this celebration is going on, and the older brother says, I'm not, I'm not going in. And it doesn't even just, he's not just pouting. I mean, he's really angry about this. And it looks much worse than it is because refusing to go in would have brought public disgrace to his father for those people that recognized that he was outside the party and would not celebrate the decision that his father had made. The son's anger 
is meant to mirror the grumbling of the religious leaders. They were upset at repentant sinners being forgiven, just like the older brother is now upset at his repentant younger brother being forgiven. And the ugliness of the older brother's heart is revealed in two ways, and I'll introduce the first way now and the second way a little bit later. So let me say one more time. The ugliness of the older brother's heart is revealed in two ways, and we're going to look at the first way now, his attitude toward his brother's repentance. The older brother, he's filled with this righteous indignation. In fact, if you write in your Bible, you can even circle the words. You know, he was angry. You can draw a line up to verse 2, and then you can circle the word grumbling just to make that connection between the way that the older brother is feeling and the way that the religious leaders were feeling at the beginning of the account. Now, here's what I'd like you to do for a moment. I need you to consider the older brother's heart or attitude and the father's heart or attitude. I want you to try to picture both of them. Picture the older brother's heart or attitude toward his repentant brother, and then picture the father's heart or attitude toward his repentant son. How different do those two hearts or attitudes look? I mean, could they be further from each other? When we consider that the father wanted to celebrate the son's repentance, but the older brother was anchored by it, It reveals just how far the older brother's heart or attitude was from the heart of his father. And it's important to recognize that there are how many rebellious sons in this parable? Come on, guys. How many rebellious sons are in this parable? There's two. That's why I've never been particularly thrilled with the title, The Parable of the Prodigal Son, because it could better be called The Parable of the Loving Father or The Loving Father and the Two rebellious sons because when you look at them physically the older brother might have been living under his father's roof and the younger brother might have been living miles away but their hearts were equally far from their father's heart one commentator put it like this in the parable of the prodigal son you have a son who's running away from his father in his disobedience And you have another son who's running away from his father in his obedience. The older son is a Pharisee. The older brother had left his father without ever leaving the farm. And I think sometimes if you, we'll talk about children and whether we still have their hearts. Could you have a child who is living in your home, but their heart is someplace else? Their heart is not in the home or it's not part of the family. (laughs) But look what the father does in the rest of verse 28. His father came out and entreated him. His father came out and entreated him. What could the father have done? Or what might you have expected the father to do with his son acting this way? Maybe I just put myself in the father's place, but I suspect if I had a son who acted this way, I'd come out and I'd lecture him. I I would, to my shame, come out and criticize him. And say something along the lines of, I mean, how could you act this way? What is wrong with you? Think about your younger brother comes home and then you're going to sit out here and pout like this. And I can't believe that you would be so, so selfish and your heart is so ugly right now. So I got to be honest, when I look at the way the father deals with his son here, I am convicted by it. I am challenged by it. He could rebuke the son for the ugly attitude, the rebelliousness, refusing to join the party. Instead, it says he entreated him. Or most translations say that he pleaded with him. So when we read the parable, we tend to think about the father's graciousness toward which son? 
the younger son. But we can equally think about the father's graciousness or kindness or patience toward the older brother. Think about what it took for a moment for this father to minister to the older son. For, and you're told in the verse, or you get an idea, this is more imagery captured by a few words. For the father to minister to the older son, what did he have to do? Or let me say it like this, what did he have to leave? What did he have to leave? He had to leave the celebration. He had to leave all the other guests. He had to leave the younger son, who I, who I suspect he viewed as being in a good position, but now my other son is not, and I need to go and minister to him. So at the beginning of the parable, we talked about the father letting the younger brother go when he wanted to leave home. He didn't chase him down. So I just want you to notice the contrast here. We talked about one of the parenting examples toward the beginning of the parable. When I'm shocked, the father, the son says, give me my inheritance. I know I wish you were dad. I want nothing more to do with the family. We, we, and we talked about, I don't want to belabor it too much, that t- you'd expect the father to rebuke his son, slap him for his disrespect, hold a funeral. Instead, the father gives him the inheritance. He let him go. The father let the younger son go, gave him all that money, didn't chase him down, didn't go after him. And now what do we see the father doing with the older son? He goes after him. He leaves everything to pursue him. The younger son got a lot of attention earlier, but now the older son is getting a lot of attention. And it just reminds me that God the father knows how to deal with each of us, doesn't he? He knows what each of us need. He knows that it's different, and he doesn't, he doesn't respond to all of us. I've, I have listened to, uh, I just probably, or I won't mention the person's name. I didn't get permission. But anyway, I was listening to some parents that I respect, and they were telling me that someone had talked about, you know, we raised all of our children the same. We treated them all the same. We don't know why we have problems. And these parents said that was, pro- that was the problem, <laughs> that you treated them all the same, that children need to be parented differently that they need to be raised differently. And right here, we see the older son getting more of the attention. The younger son got lots of attention earlier, but now the older son needs it, and it pictures two things. It pictures Jesus' patience, believe it or not, much of the time with the religious leaders. You can almost, you know, kind of cringe when I say that, but it's true. Jesus was very patient with the religious leaders much of the time. They refused to celebrate sinner's repentance just like the brother refused to celebrate his younger brother's repentance, but Jesus was patient with them much of the time, and it pictures how God the Father knows how to be patient or deal with each of us. He knows if we're prodigals, like the younger son, who, and he wants us to return home, and he knows how to deal with us if we're selfish or self-righteous, excuse me, like the older brother, and he wants us to join the celebration. Whatever the outcome is God desires for our life, he knows how to minister to us to bring that about. Now, it is one thing for the older brother to be upset earlier but ap- when the father had not talked to him yet. But after the father comes out and entreats him or pleads with him, makes this very kind and wonderful appeal about his younger brother coming home, being safe and sound, and explains to him how it's right for them to be throwing this celebration, killing the fatted calf, what would you expect from the older brother now? Something like, you're right, Dad. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have been acting like this. I should be celebrating my younger brother's return. Everything you said is very reasonable. We have been worried about him. I know you've been going out looking for him. 
every day wondering when he'd be back. I should be happy for you that your, your, your younger son has returned. And so let's just go ahead. And you're outside the party. I don't like you having to be outside the celebration dealing with me. I'm a little embarrassed um, by my behavior. Why don't we go back inside right now and I'll give my brother a hug and I'll tell him how happy I am to see him. Let's see what he says instead. Verse 29, he answers his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. It's pretty evident that the father's gracious appeal fell on deaf ears, right? It is almost shocking to me that the older brother could respond this way after the father had dealt with him so kindly and reasonably. And so the older son, he looks much worse now because he ignored his father's gracious words, which reveals just how ugly this son's heart actually was, which is really to say just how ugly the religious leader's hearts actually were because he pictures them. Now listen to this verse, Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. So this is an interesting verse because it doesn't just tell us to serve the Lord, it tells us how to serve the Lord. Lots of verses in Scripture commanding us to serve the Lord, but with this verse, we're told not just to serve the Lord, but how to serve Him, and that is with gladness. And it's evident that the older son was not serving the Lord with gladness. And perhaps, if you're like me, you don't always serve the Lord with gladness, so we can learn from Him, and this brings us to lesson one. The way we serve is as important as serving. The way we serve is as important as serving. I want you to briefly take your mind to the Sermon on the Mount. As you probably can remember, there are some good or moral or even things Scripture commands, let's just say some outward activities that scripture commands that when done wrong inwardly, Jesus condemns. Let me say that one more time. In the Sermon on the Mount, interestingly, Jesus doesn't just condemn sinful things like adultery, lying, and murder. Jesus actually condemns good or moral or righteous things that scripture commands when they're done outwardly but with the wrong heart. And what are a few of those things? What comes to mind? What did Jesus condemn when it's done outwardly, but with the wrong heart or done wrong inwardly? Huh? But what are some positive things that Jesus, praying, do you remember that? Did Jesus, giving, fasting. He says, look, if you're going to pray, and you're going to pray so that everyone hears you and you sound very lofty and spiritual, if you're going to give and then you're going to tell everyone about it or you're going to sound a trumpet on the street, street corner, then just don't pray and just don't give. He says if you're going to fast and you're going to walk around, oh, I'm so famished. I've been fasting for two and a half hours and, you know, I don't know how much longer I can go. I'm so exhausted, but I'm doing this for the Lord because I'm so spiritual. Jesus says just don't even fast then. So he's condemning positive things when they're done wrong inwardly or with the wrong heart and we see here one other thing that can be added to this list serving serving can be added to the list of outward activities that must be done with the right heart briefly turn a few chapters to the left to luke 10 
just a couple chapters, just because we're in Luke, I'm going to have you, I want to have you look here. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37 contain the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is one of the most convincing accounts or convicting accounts in Scripture regarding serving. But then right after the parable of the Good Samaritan is the account with Mary and Martha, which tells us that it's not just important to serve, it also matters how we serve. So Jesus gives us the most, at least in my opinion, convicting parable regarding serving, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then he follows that up with this account that shows us that it's not just about serving, it's about how we serve. And briefly look at verse 40, Luke 10, verse 40. We must have the right attitude. Martha was distracted with much serving. That sounds odd, doesn't it? And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, you know you're not serving the Lord with gladness when you interrupt him when he's teaching, right? Because that's what Jesus was doing right here. You criticize him for being what? Uncaring, which is what she said. Don't you care? You don't even care about what's happening with me now. You don't care that I'm doing all this for you and the disciples, and, and my sister's not doing anything except just sitting there at your feet listening to you. What's the big deal about that? And then... You know you're not serving with the right attitude when you give Jesus a command. What was the, when, do, we just don't get to command Jesus to do things, do we? What was the command she gave Jesus? Tell her to help me. Tell her now to help me. Now, with that in mind, turn back to Luke 15, because the older brother's attitude was probably even worse than Martha's attitude. So I told you the ugliness of the older brother's heart is revealed in two ways. First, in the way he viewed his younger brother's repentance. And the second way the ugliness of the older brother's heart is shown is in the way that he viewed serving his father. He had a terrible attitude regarding serving his father. Unlike his younger brother, the older brother brought no disgrace to his father. Outwardly, how did the older brother look? Outwardly, how did the older brother look? Good. Obedient. Blameless. Because of his obedience, because of his service. Inwardly, how did the older brother look? Inwardly, how did the older brother look? He looked terrible. I'd say he looks as bad as his younger brother because of his heart's condition. And this also makes him look like the religious leaders who didn't bring any disgrace to God the Father through their disobedience or through their outward actions, they looked good and blameless. Jesus talked about your righteousness having to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, and we know that he definitely didn't mean inwardly. He meant outwardly. They looked good outwardly. They were blameless because of their obedience and service, but they looked ugly inwardly because of their heart's condition. Jesus said, Matthew 23, 25, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside,' They're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly look beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. You also appear, outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So we have Jesus saying as much about the religious leaders, that outwardly they looked great, but inwardly they looked terrible just like the older brother. 
He was as ugly as his younger brother if you looked at him inwardly. His inward sins are no less ugly than his old younger brother's outward sins. The ugliness of the son's heart is shown in the way that he talked to his father. First, notice what did he not call his father? What did he not call him? He didn't call him father. He could have called him Lord in that culture. Instead, what's the first word out of his mouth? Look. Does it ever sound nice when someone is talking to you and they say, look? Right? Have you ever said, oh, thanks for speaking to me so kindly and respectfully? He says, look. I mean, you can tell how angry he was. It was rude, it was disrespectfully, showing contempt for his father, who had been so kind to him throughout his life and was being kind to him at this moment by leaving the party to come out to see him. Now, why was he so angry? We're told why he was so angry. Or he tells us why he was so angry. He says, these many years I have served you. These many years I have served you. The Greek word for served, it's pronounced doulao, uh, doulao, and it's related to the word doulos, which literally means slave. So the older brother was upset because he viewed himself as what? A slave. He said, I've been your slave all these years. That's how he felt about serving his father. How do you want your children to serve you in your house? Joyfully. You want them to do it because they're thankful for you, because they're thankful for your family, because they want to do a blessing, be a blessing. I mean, it's the same in marriage. How, how does Katie want me to change diapers or fix fences or, the other, or any other thing? She wants me to do it joyfully. I mean, if I'm, you know, slamming doors or ripping open the box of Huggies diapers and they fly all over and I'm like, oh, I've got to change another diaper. And she's not going to be glad that I'm changing that diaper. All of us want service done with a good attitude. Nobody wants people serving acting as though they're feeling like they're slaves while they're doing it. And so right here, the son revealed that this is how he has felt all that time, and it is incredibly sad. Because the father is a picture of God the Father, we want to look at how the older brother served him as, an, as we examine ourselves in the way we serve our heavenly father, and this brings us to lesson two. We don't serve the Lord with gladness when we feel like part one slaves. Excuse me. We don't serve the Lord with gladness when we feel part one like slaves. Have you ever suspected someone was angry, but they kind of keep it to themselves for a long time? And then you ask them about it, and they finally just explode, and it just all comes out, right? And actually, you're kind of relieved because you've suspected that they were angry, and now you're glad that you can finally get to the bottom of things. Well, that's kind of what I think of in this account with this brother because he's been going all these years just keeping to himself how he felt about serving his dad. He He didn't just start feeling like a slave this day. He's been feeling like a slave for years. All his service to his father has been done with this bad attitude. He's been keeping it to himself, and it's like his father taps him on the shoulder, and he finally just turns around his vomits, all this ugliness out on his father, letting him know how he's felt about this. Because the moment that he sees his younger brother being celebrated after his rebellious living, it is just too much for him. He just cannot keep it in any longer. It pushes him over the edge. And so he finally reveals how he's been feeling about serving his father all this time. And I imagine it must have been a very difficult thing for this father to hear, just like it would be very difficult for any father to hear when your older son comes to you 
who's been serving you faithfully or obediently and says, you know, I've just felt like your slave all of this time. I've hated it. I've hated everything that I've done for you all this time. I've never felt good about it. When your children comes to you and talk to you that way, imagine how disheartening it would be. The older brother did not serve his father with gladness. He served him out of obligation. And God doesn't want us serving him out of obligation. He wants us serving him with thankful hearts. Hearts that are moved to serve the Lord for what reason? Out of worship or thankfulness because of what he's done for us. And this is what separates Christianity. This past week at this family camp, I got to sit down with this gentleman. It was interesting. He was delivered from Mormonism. And I was able to share with him how I'd have these months of Bible studies with Mormons. And he was in the Mormon church and he was telling me what it's like in there. That you never feel like you're doing enough and you always have to do more to be saved. That is the opposite of Christianity. Everything we do, we do because we are saved, because we are thankful, because we love the Lord and are moved out of hearts of worship because of what he's done for us. Now, let's remember that the older brother serves as a rebuke to the religious leaders. Their religion was one of works, which they believed could earn their own righteousness. But the problem is that any time that you're part of a religion like that, just like this gentleman was telling me when he was Mormon, God can never be a loving father in that religion. He was never a loving father to me when I was in Catholicism involved with Catholicism and other works-based religion. He cannot be a loving father in Mormonism, and he cannot be a loving father in Jehovah's Witnesses, for Jehovah's Witnesses. He always will be a taskmaster because it is always about what you are doing to be saved. You're not God's son or daughter. You are God's slave. There cannot be any joy or gladness. There can only be anger and frustration regarding what you do or guilt or shame regarding what you're not doing that you feel like you should be doing. Slaves never enjoy themselves. And if we see ourselves as slaves in our service to the Lord, then we definitely are not serving with gladness. I want to ask you a question that I've been asking myself the last two weeks. When I serve the Lord, so ask yourself this, do I do so with gladness or do I feel like a slave? Do I serve the Lord with joy or do I picture myself like one of those Hebrews back in Egypt, you know, serving Pharaoh? Now, the next words the son said, I never disobeyed your command. You just hear what in his voice? What's his voice just dripping with as he says, I've never disobeyed your commands. I have been perfectly obedient to you. And this brings us to lesson two. We don't serve the Lord with gladness when we feel part two proud. We don't serve the Lord with gladness when we feel part two proud. The older brother is that good son. He's always done what he's supposed to do. He's always worked hard. He never asked for the inheritance, even though he might have wanted it. He never took off. He never lived immorally. And so he thought that the way the younger son was being rewarded was an insult to his faithfulness and obedience. And speaking of his obedience, he said, shockingly, I have never disobeyed your command. Could that be true? Could it be true? Has there ever been a perfectly obedient son besides the only perfectly obedient son? (laughs) Capital S son. Has there ever been a perfectly obedient son that could ever say this? No, definitely not. So it reminds me of the rich young ruler who was also able to tell Jesus what? 
I've kept all those commands. I've been perfectly obedient. There's two possibilities. He's lying and he knows that he hasn't been perfectly obedient, but I don't think that's true. I think he believes this. I think the older brother believes this as much as the rich young ruler believed what he said. And you say, well, how could he believe that? Because what does pride do? It blinds us. It masks us to the reality of ourselves and our sinfulness. Pride always causes us to think better of ourselves than we actually are. We can be so proud that we can say something like, I have never disobeyed God. I have been perfectly obedient. Just like the older son who represents the religious leaders. Let me get you to contrast the two brothers again here for something that's almost shocking. You have the younger brother's humility when he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Picture that humility for a moment. And now picture the older brother saying, I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, and, but you never gave me. The humility of the younger son, the pride of the older brother. So here's one of the other ironies. The older brother thinks that he's much better than his younger brother, but once the younger brother repented, who looks much better? The younger brother is looking way better <laughs> than his older brother. When you read the things that the younger brother was saying, it's like contrasting in Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and how much better the tax collector because of his humility looks than the Pharisee because of his pride. Again, the older brother resembles the religious leaders filled with pride about how obedient they'd been and how much they had done for God. And let's consider whether this resembles us too. By asking this question, when I serve the Lord, do I do so filled with gladness or do I do so filled with pride? Do I serve the Lord with joy or am I like the older brother or religious leader saying, look at all I'm doing. I serve so much more than everyone else. I'm doing such a great job. God, thank you that I'm not like other men, that I fast twice a week and serve more than them and give tithes of all that I get. Now let's see one of the results of pride. Look at the words, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So he thought his life was miserable. It was all about what he didn't get to do. It caused him to feel sorry for himself and the same thing can happen with us. And this brings us to the last part of lesson two. We don't serve the Lord with gladness when we feel, part three, sorry for ourselves. We don't serve the Lord with gladness when we feel, part three, sorry for ourselves. Pride cannot help but produce ungratefulness and self-pity. Pride must produce ungratefulness and self-pity because we have this bloated, inflated view of ourselves and we're never going to think that we're getting all that we should for all that we're doing and how good that we are. And so pride is always going to cause us to feel sorry for ourselves. So whenever we're, whenever we're feeling sorry for ourselves or there's some self-pity, we need to recognize that that is a result of pride because we think too much of ourselves and how good we are and what we deserve and how we're not getting that. Henry Morris said, the proud and the self-righteous always feel that they are not being treated as well as they deserve. The words you never gave me reveal just how discontent and bitter the son has been all this time. We've been talking about how ugly the son's heart has been, but until now, we couldn't really tell why he served his father. Let me say that one more time. We've been talking about how ugly the older son's heart is or was, but it kind of has, leaves this nagging question. I mean, if his heart was so ugly, 
I mean, if he's so bad, why was he serving his father all this time? You get the answer right here. He wanted something in return. He says, why don't you give this to me? This is what I've been wanting. I've been doing it for this reason. I've been serving you for what I would get in return, and I don't get anything. And so the older brother thought his younger brother didn't deserve everything he got, but the older brother definitely thought that he deserved more than he received. So the older brother thinks the younger brother is not worthy, but I definitely am. The younger brother gets the fattened cap, but I don't even get a measly goat. The younger brother gets this big celebration with the whole village, but I don't even get to have a little small party or celebration with a few friends. And so here's what's interesting. When you get this window into the older brother's heart, you see that the older brother is a lot like his younger brother in that they wanted the same thing. The older brother was not that much different than his younger brother. The older brother wants what his younger brother had, at least outwardly. The older brother wants to enjoy material goods from his father without his father's company, just like the younger brother. The older brother wants a celebration, just like the younger brother. They were not so different at all, at least not inwardly. They were the same. They wanted the same things. Now, do you remember Martha? She's like, Lord, do you not even care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So she thought she was being neglected. She thought she was being overlooked. So she felt sorry for herself. She thought nobody cared about her and all that she was doing. She looks just like the older brother. And maybe Martha and the older brother could look like some of us, if we're honest. So again, I want to ask you the same question that I asked myself. When I serve the Lord, do I do so filled with gladness or do I do so filled with self-pity? Do I serve the Lord with joy or am I like Martha or the older brother thinking, I am the only one working. I am doing everything. I have to do all of it myself. I don't want anyone else to do anything. Nobody cares about me. I never get anything in return for all that I do. And I'll just tell you something. That is an attitude that produces incredible discontentment. If, that, if that's in our hearts, there's almost no way that we can experience joy. We're going to go through life generally being miserable because we're always going to be focused on what we're not getting. It is one of the worst attitudes to have because even if you have some number of good things or blessings or gifts in your life, you can't appreciate them because you're not focused on them. You're just focused on what? What you don't have. And whenever all of our attention is just on what we don't have and we're not appreciating all the good things that we do have, we can't help but be filled with discontentment and self-pity. Now, the obvious question, how can we serve the Lord with gladness instead of whatever, whatever lesser feeling or sinful feeling we might be experiencing. So maybe we're listening to this sermon and hopefully we're doing an honest evaluation and we see some ways in which we don't serve the Lord with gladness. Instead of being filled with gladness and joy, we're filled with self-pity or we're filled with pride. Well, how can, what can we do about that? I mean, I don't want you to just walk out of here with that feeling convicted, but not, you know, know what to put off, but not know what to put on or how to rectify the situation. And this brings us to lesson three. Serve the Lord with gladness by thinking about how he served you. Lesson three, serve the Lord with gladness by thinking about how he served you. If we struggle serving the Lord with gladness, I want to give you two encouragements, and they're the same encouragements I give myself. Before I tell you the first encouragement, let me just ask you something. 
Do we ever have to tell the Lord something about us that he doesn't already know? Do we ever have to like confess something and say, Lord, I know you didn't know this, but I just haven't really been feeling like reading my Bible today. And I didn't want to tell you because I was too ashamed, but now you know. I mean, the Lord knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. He knows us better than we know us. And so sometimes it's almost like we don't want to confess something because we're afraid if we tell the Lord, then he'll know. Well, he already knows. So if you're not serving the Lord with gladness, but you want to, you want more joy, then just confess that. He knows already. Just say, Lord, I sense the, the pride in me. Thank you for revealing it. I sense the self-pity when I serve. I sense the absence of joy and gladness that I should, that I should have. I sense that I'm looking down on others. I'm feeling sorry for myself. Just share these things, confess them, and then say, Lord, please help me in these areas. Please help me to grow. Ask, so that's the first encouragement. Ask for growth in that area through prayer. So I was driving today from that, from that camp, you know, on the road and, and just praying, recognizing a weakness in my life and just asking the Lord, you know, please help me to grow in this area. Please help me to be different. I have this weakness. I shouldn't, you know, be a pastor this long and still be struggling with this or have kids reaching this age and still have this, this failure, you know, where weakness is a father. And so help me to overcome this sin and, and develop victory in this area because the Lord already knows these things about me. And so perhaps he's just waiting for me to have the humility to ask him to help me grow in these ways. But the second thing is to reflect on how much the Lord has served you. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus served us in a way that we can only imagine. We can only reflect on or meditate on because it goes so far beyond anything that we could ever do as human beings. He's willing to give his life for us. He's willing to hang on that cross and consume the wrath that was due us because of our sins. And so when we consider that God was willing to come from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, be rejected and spat on, parts of his beard ripped out, the crown of thorns, you know, pressed through his skull, the scourging that, you know, could have, could have killed many, many people before he even makes it to the cross and all he's willing to do for us, how can we not be motivated to serve him with gladness when we focus on what he has sacrificed for us? So focusing on Christ's radical act of self-giving can move us to serve with joy. And being moved to serve Christ in response to what he did for us allows us to serve with the hearts of worship versus hearts of obligation or slavery. I don't know how you could think about what the Lord has done for you and then turn and say, you know, I feel like a slave when I do this. I mean, when you think about all Christ was willing to endure and then turn and, you know, pick up chairs after potluck or something. Or come clean the church and be like, man, I'm just a slave having to do all this. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, when is this going to end, Lord? You just really can't do that when you think about all he's willing to give up for us. Instead of being proud of what we've done for the Lord, we're going to be humbled and thankful for what the Lord has done for us. Now, if you have any questions about anything I've shared this morning, I'll be up front after service. Consider it a privilege to speak with you. One last thing before you move. We do announcements at the beginning of service, and so they had a greeter meeting the other week, and I'm convinced a lot more people would have attended that greeter meeting, except they forgot. Let me think, who forgot? Oh, yeah, I forgot that day. Someone had to come and tell me about the greeter meeting, and so I'm completely guilty of it. So after service, we're going to have a meeting for people involved with scripture reading and communion. Uh, We made the announcement. I just want to announce it again, so please hang around and come up front so I can value your time, Pastor Nathan and I, and we can try to begin soon after service ends. 
Father, we thank you so much for all your son, for all you've done for us in giving us your son and all he, was, he has done for us in being willing to be given. And so, Lord, help us to serve you with hearts of gladness, out of worship. We're not, we're not bound up in cults here. We don't think we're saved by works. We, we know we could never contribute anything to our salvation. We're not trying to go you know, door to door or share the gospel or make phone calls because we wonder if we're righteous enough. We want to do these things out of worship out of thankfulness for what you've done for us, Lord, not out of obligation, but we understand our hearts are sinful. We don't always have the right attitude, Lord, and so convict us of those areas where our hearts would be wrong regarding serving you and help grant us growth through the power of the gospel that we can become more like Christ and that we can serve our heavenly Father like he did with a joyful attitude, Lord, even being willing to go to the cross in our place. We thank you so much for what he did and the example he set for us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.